Blog Talk Radio. known on Twitter as MetFanRich and CT MetsFan. Um, and you are listening to the Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike on, I guess, what is a, uh, I don't know, special night, important night in Mets history, as the Mets have brought the curtain down on another season of disappointment, another season um, of no playoff baseball, another sub-500 season. I think we're all a little, um, little tired of saying those things, but as we know, there might be some better days on the horizon. So what we will do over the course of this show is talk about the Mets season that was in 2020. We'll talk about some potential changes that you know, we've been uh, hearing about in the ownership and also a new team president and what that all could mean for the Mets going forward. Then we'll think a bit about uh, personnel, you know, who might be back and who might not be back. And, um, and think about on-the-field personnel in terms of what some priorities might be. So, so that's the flow, and I certainly can't do it myself. And in order to, uh, to help me out, I have um, one of my co-conspirators in the podcast with me. And first I'd like to introduce Mr. Mike LeColent, who hails from the great borough of Brooklyn. So, Mike, how are you tonight? Doing well, my friend. Chugging along. How are you, sir? Doing well, doing well. Uh, you know, it's interesting because because Gary, if you watch the end of the game tonight, Gary was saying that um, you know you're always a little bit sad at the end of, of a season, but I think a lot of Mets fans are feeling relieved, you know, because this season was rough. I mean, it was rough for a lot of reasons. It was very different. Okay, that's the same for everybody, but this was a tough season. We're going to pick that one apart, and I believe we have our other co-conspirator. Um, the man who goes by many monikers, that of CEO of the podcast, brain trust of the podcast, Grand Poobah, all those things, Mr. Sam Maxwell. So, Sam, how and where are you tonight? Is Okay. Is Do we not have Sam? Um, all right. So at that point, I will go to uh, – is, is this our guest for tonight on, on the 646 number? I believe so. I believe Hello? so. Stephen, is that Hello? you? Yes, it is. Ah, all right. My mistake. I saw the six four six, and I thought that was that was Sam. So, all right. Let me introduce our special guest for tonight. This is a guy that um, I had the pleasure of meeting online. So, shall we say, probably fifteen, sixteen years ago, um, on a site, and I'll let him tell you about what that site was. And had a chance to meet him several times at City Field, and he really is the Mets fans, Met fan. Um, you know, a guy who is well known in, in both the blogosphere and, and Twitter and all over Mets world. So, very happy to introduce to the podcast, Mr. Stephen Keen. Um, so, Steve, why don't you tell us about how you got started in, in the the whole blogging thing and the whole Mets social media thing, where we can find you, and some of the things you've done. So, Steve, welcome. And, you know, and it's great to talk to you, buddy, and, and please tell us all about the stuff you've done and what you do now. Well, good evening, gentlemen. Good to be here. 
uh, well, most of the stuff I do now is mostly just on social media. I don't really do the blog anymore. Uh, I spend maybe too much time on uh, on Twitter and other and Facebook talking about the Mets and talking about baseball. So uh, that's that's about where I stand right now. All right. Well, Steve, as a, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And um, and your blog, when it started, I'm not sure if you want to say a couple words about that, but I, I always thought the concept of it was um, was wonderful, you know, what you called it and, and how you got started. I know you, you've told the story many, many years ago of how you got started doing it. And I think it's fascinating if you'd like to just kind of, you know, maybe go through that just a bit. Sure. I, I first started, there, the only blogs that were really out there was, I think everybody knows Bill Simmons of The Ringer and his fame, he started out as a blogger. He was the Boston sports guy, and he did a blog on AOL. AOL had a platform for for doing stuff like that, and he posted on there all the time. Um, another guy was Brian Hawk, who's now the Yankee beat writer for MLB.com. He's a, he's a longtime Mets fan, and he started a Mets message board also on on when the Internet was just first starting to take off. And then I met a couple of people. One guy was Alex Bleth. He was a Yankee blogger. He had a blog of uh, Bronx Banter. And there was another uh, guy who was out in Oakland that he had a, a blog called Elephants Elephants of Oakland for the A's. And they helped me get started setting it up and everything. And uh, a couple of the writers, when I first started writing the blog, helped me. Pete Abraham, who's now the... Red Sox beat writer for the Globe, Boston Globe. He was a Mets beat writer for um, the Westchester paper. And I used to talk about, you know, back and forth with him. And Adam Rubin, when he was at the Daily News and then went to ESPN, he would link my blog to him. And it got uh, it got pretty popular. And it got popular and it got uh, the attention of Mets management, especially the ownership who didn't care too much for me because they couldn't censor me. They they couldn't they didn't know like they, they wanted like who was the editor who was the publisher I was the, I was the editor publisher the writer the, <laughs> the whole thing and it it kind of kind of frustrated them that they uh, that they couldn't uh, censor me or you know ban me or anything in fact uh, it, it took a little bit of time for them to invite me to the bloggers events because the other bloggers who were there guys like Greg Prince. And, you know, told him, listen, you got to invite this guy. He's like one of the first guys doing this stuff. <laughs> so they had, they let me come in. And, uh, you know, from there, I, I, I went to all the blogger events. I, I got to know a lot of people in the front office. Uh, I got to know Sandy Alderson pretty good. I'm very happy that he's coming back. He was very, he, he was always nice to me. He always gave me a lot of information. He was he was able to talk, and any time I would email him, he would email me back with answers to my questions. So I'm glad that he's back. He's the one thing we miss with this organization is truthfulness and transparency, and he he's both. I mean, the guy's a marine. The guy's been in baseball for a long time. All the young guys that we all love on this team are all his guys that he brought in. So I'm happy that he's back, and uh, you know I I've had a few I I, I had great times meeting a lot of people in that organization and I did meet one night I got to sit down and, and meet with Jeff Wilpon and that was that was a pretty memorable time 
<laughs> when I got to sit down <laughs> with him. <laughs> well, th- thank you for sharing all that, Steve. Um, I remember some of that. You know, so I remember the cataclysmic meeting between you and Jeff Wolpon because I know. Uh, I think it's safe to say. I think I'm saying anything out of school here. It's safe to say that you were never a big fan of his. And you know, and you would write that on the blog, and you would always say you can't wait wait to meet him. And then, when you had this time coming to meet him, you were writing about it and how you know what's it going to be like and all that. Remember, it was just very entertaining reading, and um, and I'm glad you had a chance to do that. And we're going to talk about a lot of the stuff that you talked that you touched upon. You know, Sandy Sandy Alderson coming back, and we'll talk about the Wilpons and the Cohen ownership. But but let's start here, um, gentlemen. Let let's start with the season that just ended, right? So let, let me kind of just say a couple words, and Michael, go to you first, and we'll go to Steve. So in, in May, we were all saying we just need some baseball. We need to have some baseball because it's, it's normalcy, and we need to get it back. And, and then when it came back, we were, we were all very happy. And I'm still happy there was a season. But if you think about it, the Mets now are going home when eight out of 15 National League teams make the postseason. And this is not a Mets team that's like the Pirates. This isn't a Mets team that, you know, oh, they're rebuilding, it's going to be a while. This is a Mets team that everybody said, well, of course they're going to be in the postseason. It's just a question of what the seeding is going to be because they're talented and all that. And, yeah, you know, they lost Syndergaard. And, yes, Stroman opted out. Cespedes, I don't count that because we don't know what we were getting from him anyway. But, gentlemen, Mike, first question for you is, Reflect upon the fact that with the Mets roster as it is, they're going home when more than half the teams in the National League make the playoffs. Mike, what are your thoughts? That's brutal. That's, that's a brutal opening question. Thanks, Rich. Steven, hello, sir. Glad you can make it on time. Yes. How are you, Mike? Uh, you know, Rich, this has been – a very uncommon season for major league baseball, but an all too common season in flushing, you know, you, you can look at the team in and of itself and you can look at the team through organizational eyes and you bring up uh, some of these teams that are in the playoffs, excluding the Mets, you know, eight teams from the national league, the Mets are not amongst them. Uh, the Marlins are in the playoffs, but if you look at baseball as a whole, you know, you got your Oaklands and your Atlantas and your Tampa Bays and, you know, all these other teams that have uh, put in time, work, effort, and patience. That's the key word here, patience. Because what Brody Van Wagenen did uh, was come in uh, and and be impatient and hastened. uh, He likes to think of uh, as a winning team, come get us. Uh, he, you know, negotiated away a lot of prospects to win now. And you look at his transactions as a whole, uh, and we're left with nothing but uh, negative things to say. So, you know, it's rather ponderous. This team, you know, ends an era with the Wilpons departing, you know, when they came in, the Mets were below 500 and the bottom of the division. That was 2003. Fast forward, 2020, they end the 2020 season at the bottom of the division with the sub-500 record. 
so Seth, apropos that today uh, transpired the way it did, and I'm glad that today's game ended the way it did. I'm glad the way it transpired the way it did because it's a slap in the face, and we need to remember it, and we need to feel the sting of this through the off season. These are mistakes that we can't make again. It's a new start. It's a fresh start. We hope once Stephen Cohen gets approved by, what, 22 owners, which I Mm -hmm. I foresee him, you know, which I foresee him doing. Uh, When the Mets are a good team and they're a good road draw, owners make money. That's the bottom line. You know, so I don't foresee him having a problem. But it's a fresh start, you know, uh, I'm not. I'm not calling for a rebuild. We have too many good players on the roster, offensively at least. Unfortunately, the pitching needs a revamp. That's sad. But to cycle back to your original question, you know the Mets have arguably one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Uh, team batting average that led the major league. Yet they were 11th with runners in scoring position, and the starters ERA as per SNY this afternoon in the National League. Rather ponderous and conflicting statistics there. Uh, So I think the Mets are right where they deserve to be, uh, which is on the outside looking in. Uh, And I blame that, you know, on on poor management and poor organizational skills, etc. Take it away, Rich. I can go on. No, good stuff. So, Steve, ask you the same question and i'm just going to tell you you know teams like the marlins who had 31 players that were impacted by COVID at some point or another teams like the cincinnati reds who haven't been in the playoffs in a while since 2013 those teams are in the playoffs the new york mets are in the category with the pittsburgh pirates of not being in an expanded playoff format with a roster that mike just talked about led the league in batting average most of the season OBP as well, also first in OBP for most of the season. And, Steve, they're going home. Give me some reflections. Well, it's awful. It's 100% it's awful because there's too much talent on this team for it not to be in the playoffs. I mean, you look up and down that lineup, it's as good as any team in baseball. There's a couple of saving graces here. This would be a thousand times worse if the Wilpons were still going to be the owners going into 2021. We have, we have this light at the end. Of, we've made it to the end of the tunnel, and the sun is going to shine. Steve Cohen is going to be the owner of this team. And hopefully he will change the culture of this team. The Wilpons have destroyed the culture of this organization. Remember, when the Mets were winning in the 80s, it was because Nelson Doubleday was the control, was the managing partner. He was the guy. He's the one who, when Piazza got here on, as a trade and was a free agent, Fred Wolpon did not want to pay Mike Piazza. It was Nelson Doubleday who gave the blank check to Steve Phillips, put him on an airplane, and said, do not come back here unless you have this signed. So without Nelson Doubleday. Now, Nelson Doubleday, remember, too, we wouldn't have City Field if it was for Nelson Doubleday. Nelson Doubleday wanted to renovate all of Shea Stadium. He wanted to just renovate the place. He wanted to take over the land 
that was where City Field is now and build a baseball village. If you've ever been out to St. Louis, that's what they have out in St. Louis. It's like a big, mm. it's just the whole place with, it's with, uh, you know, food, bars, uh, all kinds of team stores selling everything. And that's where people go to congregate before a game. We all know we've been to City Field. We've been to Shea Stadium. You go in, you watch the game, you get out. There's nothing else to do there unless you want to go get your muffler fixed or get an oil change across the street. <laughs> That's about it. So, but, you know, and then I'm going to look at it. I'm trying to look at it as a positive. Uh, I'm looking at the at the core of this team. It's a young core of guys. Pete Alonzo looked like he was snapping out of it, especially today. Dom Smith, I love Dom Smith. He's Dom Smith reminds me of Don Mattingly. Plays first base as well. Hits, hits for power, hits for average. He, he knows how to play the game. I, I love watching Dom Smith. I love watching Jeff McNeil. Uh, you know, uh, Michael Conforto, I'm pretty sure he's happy because it seems like the first thing a business cone is going to do is, is give him a contract extension. Brandon Nimmo, he loves – these guys, young guys, love being in this organization. And now they're optimistic because the guy whose regime drafted them, signed them, and brought them in is now going to be running the baseball operations in Sandy Alderson. You know, I, I see people on Twitter like Bash and Alderson. I, I don't understand these people. Do you see this team that you have, the core of this team? Do you know like Andre Emenez was an international signing on the, when Alderson was here? Uh, Ahmed Rosario was a signing for him. David Peterson was drafted by the Alderson regime. Uh, McNeil, Conforto, uh, Brandon Nimmo was the number one pick. Uh, Dom Smith was the number one pick. Peter Alonzo was the number one pick. These guys are the core of this team and of this organization, and they all want to be here. Noah Syndergaard, he was traded to the Mets, along with R.A. Dickey, who won 20 games, and a Cy Young that was traded under Alderson. Zach Wheeler came here. We the Mets decided they couldn't pay him. Goes to Philadelphia. He's in the he's in the running for Cy Young for this year. This, this is this is how we have to look at it. This year is a lost year. It, it's it's depressing that they didn't make it to the playoffs. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I I'm praying that as soon as he at Cohen is, uh, you know, uh, given the green light to be the owner of the Mets that he's voted in. The first thing he the first thing he does is fire Brody Van Wagner. I never want to see this guy again. He he single he pulled he pulled like an Al Harrison. Remember back when Al Harrison was the GM? Oh yeah. You can't be hiring lawyers or agents to be GMs. Okay. I mean, wait till this wait till Jerry Kalenic comes up. I know the the Met Twitterverse they hate to hear the Met fans guys talk about Jared Kalenic. But Kalenic is cut from the same cloth as Alonzo, as McNeil, as Conforto, as Nimmo, and Smith. This kid would have fit perfect into this team. And we're going to see probably next year when he makes the Mariners. The Mariners have a young team. They have a a team that's on the rise. I mean, I know Cano had a very good season, but you got three more years of, of Robinson Cano. And you could have had, like, another 10 years of this kid. But... I'm very optimistic. I just want to see what's going to happen once Cohen gets full reins of this organization with Alderson. I'm pretty sure Brody's gone. I don't know what he's going to do about the manager. 
I, I have like mixed feelings with Rojas because I like the fact that this guy has really paid the dues to become a big league manager. I thought there were times when he just, I think that he was like too deep in the pool that he was kind of drowning a bit that, you know, some things were getting away from like today. I mean, Gary Cohn even mentioned why is Dellen Patances pitching in this 15 to five game? There's no reason to pitch this guy. He pitched yesterday. He brought Corey Oswald up. Just tell him, listen, here you go. You're going to pitch the next five innings. Just go out there and do what you need to do. I mean, there was a lot of moves that he made, a lot of bullpen moves that he made that kind of cost them games. But, uh, I mean, as bad as it is that they didn't make this postseason, I think we just have to look and say the best part of this year is that the Wilpons will be gone. I never thought we'd see the day that the Wilpons would be no longer ownership of the Mets. So I'm going to look take that as a as a big positive this year. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. That, And we're going to get to a lot of those things. I want, I want to do a deeper dive on Brody. I want to do a deeper dive on Rojas. But before we do that, I do want to bring in the gentleman I alluded to before, the CEO, the uh, mastermind, the grand poobah of the Metsian podcast. That is Mr. Sam Maxwell. And, Sam, you are with us this time. And how oh, yeah. are you and where are you tonight? Um, I am heading downstate from up, and uh, I'm doing well. It's, you know, I have to say that it it, it is a uh, bittersweet, uh, more sweet than bitter when you really think about it. Like Stephen just said, we never thought we'd see the day they're finally passing go and collecting their two billion dollars, and uh, without going to jail. And we, yes, it's unfortunate that they didn't make the playoffs, but there's a lot of bright things to look at. It's going to be very interesting to see how this off season goes once. The approval, if the approval goes through, which I believe it will, with there's, I mean, it, it's so interesting that he's announcing certain things before, and you know, even in announcing it, he's saying if they approve me, if they approve me, um, and it really just tickles my fancy that the person replacing Jeff Wilpon in operations is the guy he let go while he was, uh, you know, uh, fighting cancer. So it, it just tickles me so. Well, we're glad you're tickled, Sam, and we're glad you're doing well tonight. And um, so I'm going to ask you the same question I asked um, Steve and Mike, and and that is, and then you'll be all caught up. So I asked for reflections on the fact that the Mets are among seven teams that did not make the playoffs this year when more than half the league did. And just some reflections on that. You know, big market Mets, you know, uh, led the league in, in batting average and OBP for almost the whole season. High expectations coming in. Yes, they lost Stroman and, and Syndergaard, but expectations were still high on July 24. So, what are what are your some so what are some of your reflections on the fact that the Mets are going home? Uh, I think you saw a rookie manager who pushed the envelope when it came to base running. Uh, they, they, were, they were a little bit more aggressive on the base field on, on the, the base path, excuse me. Um, but sometimes I think his rookie uh, place kind of did show at certain places, but that's, you know, I, I think that I would like him to settle in. Like I, I, I want somebody who can grow with this team uh, that has been so reactive over the Wilpons time. It, you know, I was saying this to Mike earlier in the, uh, the week, how like, it's really 
there's no excuse when you have such a better offense than you had in 2015, and you, you know, you haven't made the playoffs in basically four years straight now. Um, I think it is asinine, and hopefully that's basically what what Cohen and Alderson are are set, setting forth to do, which is complement this great core that they've developed. Um, or, you know, with and right now, especially with pitching that has just been completely falling apart. You know, other than giving up, other than giving up Kalanick, they've given up a lot of young pitching over uh, since Brody came in. And they're going to obviously, you know, he's done some drafting. Uh, we're gonna have to see how those arms are, uh, you know, going forward. But that's that. That's just like there's really no excuse for the little details that get lost that allow this team to not make the playoffs. So I, I look forward to that getting cleaned up, and I look forward to 2021. Excellent. All right, so we have a lot to cover still, and um, that was a great setup you know, to reflect on, on the 2020 season that was. And I, I do want to have one more reflection on 2020, if we can, before jumping into what has to happen from this point forward positives to take out of this season. And I know you might be smiling and rolling your eyes, but there were a few. And I'd ask you guys just, you know, Steve, I'm going to go to you first on this one. What did you see? I'll, I'll give you mine real quickly. I, I think the emergence of Andres Jimenez is huge because it opens up options. It opens up the Mets to potentially move Ahmed Rosario, um, who other organizations might see as a valuable piece and the Mets can maybe turn him into something they could use. I think the emergence of Jimenez, to me, is an enormous positive. And then also David Peterson. Um, here's a guy that we heard about. You know, we heard that, that this kid was in the minor leagues, but we also heard, at least I heard, maybe projects as a fifth starter, more likely a bullpen piece. But this kid, this kid was, other than DeGrom, their most effective starter all year. So I'm going to say that those two things are probably the positives I'll take out of this season. I'm calling Alonzo, I was going to call it a negative. I'll call him a neutral at this point because he did come on a little bit, and I'll say the emergence of Dom Smith too, of course. So those three things I think are some positive things we could take from an otherwise, I'm going to use the word, gentlemen, otherwise pretty disastrous season. So, Steve, what positives might you take out of 2020? Well, I, I also take Dom Smith, you know, playing every day and showing that he is an everyday player. And like I tweet just about every night on Twitter, every time he gets a hit, he's Dominic Smith, professional hitter. He's just a professional hitter. The guy can hit. Hits, he hits in the gaps. He hits for power. I think he was a big breakthrough for us this year. The other one is Jacob DeGrom. This guy is an all-timer. I mean, greatness here. And I don't hope that his greatness is not wasted because this guy is one of the best pitchers that in this, or, this organization has ever seen. And we put out some pretty great pitchers in this organization, but he's the best pitcher in baseball right now. I mean, he's ahead of everybody. He, you know, he's always been a plus. Uh, I think seeing how Jeff McNeil just picked up from where he left off last year and the fact that this guy can play outfield and infield and play them, you know, he played defensively. He's a plus defender at any position you put him at. I think, uh, like you said, Peterson, I mean, watching him come up when you needed a guy to step up, he's what I like to call the anti-Steven match. This kid is not only talented, he's tough, 
He's mentally tough, which unfortunately Stephen Matz is not very mentally tough. And he stepped up when he needed to, when the, when he had to, when he was called upon to step up, he stepped up. The other, the other positives, uh, I mean, Brandon Nimmo, he showed that he gets on base. He plays a halfway decent center field. He tries his best. He had one of the higher uh, OPSs in the in the majors for this sixty game season. You got to put him as a plus. Uh, I, I think the and uh, again the big plus is that the team was is going to be sold and it's going and and I don't care what they write in the post or what Joel Sherman thinks. Uh, these guys are idiots because if you think that these owners are not going to approve this guy to be the owner of the team, you're nuts. Number one is that when he, he pays this price, which will be the highest paid price for a, a, a professional sports team in North America, it's going to raise the value of all their teams. And number two is, okay, you don't vote him in. Now what? You're going to be stuck with the Wilpons again? With their broke asses coming back? They owe you so much money? You don't want them back. You want this guy to pay them so they could pay off all the loans that they owe to the other 29 teams in baseball who were were, were were taken in by Bud Steelig to, to lend money to these brokesters to keep this team running. And that's, you know, I, I get so aggravated by this because when Steelig saw what, what uh, McCourt was doing with the Dodgers, he made sure he got him out. But when the Wilpons were doing it because they were his pal, he should have got them out as soon as this Madoff thing hit and they lost, he should have told him, you've got to sell this team. You've got to get out. But he didn't. He made all the other teams lend money, and, and um, that they're gone is one of the, the biggest pluses for this season. Very good. Um, so, all right, so we'll go next to Mike. Same question. What do you think the positives are from this season? The positives. I say I say we, we, we've identified – a core. We've mentioned their names. This validates minor league efforts and production. Uh, it validates team building. And it validates a professional versus a novice. Alderson and what he did and accomplished versus BVW and his plan. Throw Wilma Flores into the mix. Throw Travis Darno into the mix. You know, Met fans complained about him, but that's what fans do. We complain about players. It's up to the professionals and the executives in charge to know better and make the right decision. You know, so the positive I'm taking away from 2020, Rich, is validation. That the process of team building works. If you draft well, you build a core, and then you can go out in the market and complement that core. You know, but uh, where whereas we were taking steps forward over the last year and a half, two years, we've taken step backwards. You think about the prospects that we traded away, and therein lies all the Mets' needs. Corner outfielder and pitching. So, to me, that's the positive I'm taking away. Validation that the process works. 
And it's actually validation from a negative source, which is great. You know, you saw that what happens if you don't do it that way. I think that's well taken. So, Sam, same question. Um, give me a couple of positives you might take out of this season. You know, Dom Smith, I think, is definitely front and center. I've been excited about him since they drafted him. And watching his approach at the plate, it's exactly what Steven just said. He is a professional hitter. He just he seems to finally have his eye on the ball so well. You know, where he you can see that it's not just it's not just that he's getting the the bat quicker through the strike zone. He's finding the ball in so many different places. I don't have any spray chart in front of me, but he really has command of the strike zone now, and it's really great to see. Uh, Got to give props. We're, you know, we're talking about the the um, and, and it's funny because the speed limit just turned to 30. Michael Conforto, number 30. Consistency. We finally saw a little bit more consistency out of Michael Conforto, and I think that needs to certainly be be stated. Um, considering that sometimes he does get a little bit, uh, he doesn't get the the press that a lot of the other core gets uh, since they've come up. Pete Alonso, uh, McNeil, um, they, you know, Conforto has been doing this since 2015. He's had some ebbs and flows, but we finally saw some consistency from him. So, uh, you know, I don't disagree with anything that you guys said, but I wanted to add that uh, before we continue. Very good. All right, so guys, I think we've you know we've touched on 2020 a bit. You know, mostly negatives, couple positives. So now it's time to look forward. And and so let's start with Steve Cohen. I think in a linear fashion. So I'm going to take these things very in a very linear way. Start at the top and kind of move on through. Um, Steve, I think you've already expressed your opinion, and I, I think it's valid that you think Steve Cohen will be approved for the reasons you stated. You know, the the uh, rising tide floats all boats and why would you not approve this guy when it's going to increase the value of your franchise? Um, you know, and I, I generally buy into that. The only thing I would say that we might want to think about is, you know, are, are people worried about the Steinbrenner-esque guy coming in, you know, wielding the big money and, and all of that? And, and with the whole environment that we're in right now, you know, where, where, where everybody's trying to do the right thing. Here you have a guy who had some issues in the past with, um, you know, some insider trading and some other things. So I'm going to say it's not a shoe-in, but I do think it'll happen. So, Steve, I'll let you expand on your thoughts. Are you 100% locked and loaded, Cohen's a, a shoe-in or a slam dunk, or, or where are you on it? I think he has to – I would say he's a shoe-in. I, like I stated before, He's going to raise the value of it's like when somebody on your block sells their house and the value of your house goes up the same thing here. Second part is the money that is owed to these teams. When the Madoff situation happens, the Wilpons were over a half a half a billion dollars in debt. They had to try to keep this team afloat. They were getting bridge loans from Bank of America, who was a sponsor of MLB. And Selig had to plead with the Bank of America to give these guys a loan. So they gave them a loan. And then he went to the partners, the 29 other teams, and said, you know, we all love Fred because Fred was on the finance committee and all this stuff. They all love Fred. We love Fred. We got to keep Fred in the game. Why? Why? Because he's, cause you're, he's your buddy? I mean, you got the flagship team, a National League team of, uh, in Major League Baseball. 
So they all chipped in and they kept they kept the will ponds in. And all the will ponds did was take that money and take off the debt off the stadium and put the rest in their pockets. Same thing with SNY. SNY has eight hundred million dollars they're eight hundred million dollars in debt. This is a station that shows Met games, jet pre and post game and infomercials all day. They have some kind of sports thing at night where I think they must pay minimum wage to the people who work there because I don't think anybody's <laughs> making any money except for the Gary Keith and Ron who deserve who deserve whatever they're making. They deserve three times what they what they're making. So there's really you know it's all profit and and they and Sterling Equities would just take the profit from SNY, not put it in into the team but put it in their pocket. I saw something a few weeks ago where where the Mets. The, the Mets with Sterling gets $54 million a year from SNY for the rights to the Mets. Contrast that to the Yankees, who get $150 million a year from Yes, which they're part owners of, that they take $150, $150 million from Yes to go to the Yankees. Now you have the Dodgers, who have their station out in L.A. on uh, Spectrum. They get $200 million a year from that television, from that, for their television rights, that goes back into their team. So now this is why once Cohen gets confirmation that he's the owner of the team, he's going to buy SNY because the, the Wilpons, they have to sell it. They have, the, the key is not Fred or Jeff. The key is Saul, Saul Katz. He is the finance guy. He's the guy telling them, listen, you got to sell everything, take the money, and let's run with it. So I'm pretty sure that Cohen is going to own SNY as as much as he's going to own the Mets. I can't see, I mean, barring that this guy was with Jeffrey Epstein on that island, that's about the only thing I could see that's going to stop him from being approved as a as a major league owner. Steve, that was precious. Um, so you are <laughs> listening to the Metsian podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike, and we're thrilled to have Steve uh, Steve almost said Steve Cohen Steve Keen. <laughs> From uh, the Twitter sphere, everybody knows him as at Cranepool on Twitter. Um, so, and that was Steve Keen, who you just heard with that wonderful explanation. So, um, all right. So, so Mike, I'll ask you the same question. And, and Mike, over the years, you've had a lot to say about the Wilpons. Let me ask you straight up: Will Cohen be approved, and why? I, I do believe he will be approved. Uh, lesser candidates have been approved throughout uh, the years as owners. Uh, you know, money is not the cure-all. Look at the owner of the Angels. His team is miserable, and he's the richest man out of Mexico. Uh, the Yankees have, haven't had the highest payroll in the American League for some time now. Uh, you know, and you look at the way Magic Johnson, as Steven, as Steven brought up, you know, look at the way Magic Johnson came into the league, uh, and they're blowing away payrolls. Uh, the Red Sox ran into trouble. They had a ton of dead money on their books. And that's why they're in the position they are in now. So, you know, you still have to spend responsibly. Uh, nobody, nobody wants dead money on their books uh, and dead money. What do I mean by that? Well, in two years from now, Robinson Cano might very well be dead money. That's what I mean for those listeners out there, but money is not the cure all. And I don't think owners fear per se, Steve Cohen, uh, what they should fear is the product on the field once these guys get the ball rolling. 
But in and of itself, you know, businessmen, they're all in the same loop. You know, they're all familiar with each other. Uh, I don't think that's a problem. Uh, as Stephen also said about the, the RSNs, the regional sports networks, uh, they have allowed smaller market teams to retain their players. You know, teams are doing a better job of that. So I, I don't think uh, Steve Cohen is going to come in and upset the balance of power per se and, and you know, overshadow smaller market teams just because he's a, a multi-billionaire. Still got to conduct business smartly. And, and we don't know we, – we've never known Sandy Alderson to – go out there and, and, and spend wantonly. You know, he had a high payroll with the Oakland A's, but I guess that's relative to the times. I don't I don't foresee him having a problem getting approved, Rich. I really don't. None. Uh, as I said earlier, you know, if the Mets are a good team, they're a good draw, other teams make money. It's as simple as that. Fair enough. So, And uh, interesting you talked about payroll because just as a note – one thing I saw today that I had lost track of, David Wright comes off the books this year. His salary comes off the books. So whatever they were paying that wasn't insured, they don't have to worry about that. Cespedes comes off the books. You know, the Mets are going to have, regardless of Steve Cohen's, you know, seemingly boundless resources, the Mets are going to have a lot of room because their payroll, you know, will go down significantly, you know, with some expiring contracts. So, well, I don't want to say it's a blank slate. I, I want to say it, he will have a canvas to work with, and, and he and Alderson. So, so, Sam, let me ask you that question I've asked everyone else. Do you see any issues with Cohen being approved? Great question. Um, I, just to say, reinvest that money in the court, uh, and we can expand all that afterwards. I don't – I think they'd be hypocrites for sure, which, you know, can't put it past them. I mean, we all, we all basically have to go through life – trying to be least hypocritical as possible because we're going to be hypocritical at some point. And uh, the owners, I'm sure, are very similar in ilk. Uh, but if anything of the, the, the stuff that, they've, that people have talked about being the potential obstacles for Cohen, I think it would just be so, very hypocritical, especially uh, considering like from the, the organizational sexual harassment stuff, uh, I don't. I think Cohen. It's about the the environment, and you know, hopefully he recognizes that and and is better. But Jeff Wilpon was the direct reason why that lawsuit came towards the Mets. Was directly related to the way Jeff Wilpon went about things. Um, so again, it would be very hypocritical of them. Um, I I don't like. I think. You know, everybody's mentioned why it makes so much sense for them to approve him. And, uh, yeah, like, like I, I said, like reinvest in the core. Give Michael Conforto an extension. Um, I think now, after Tommy John surgery, you're going to hold off on Noah Syndergaard extension, um, most likely. But, like, you know, the, this, the money's coming off the books for the old core. Time to reinvest in the new. Fair enough. Um, all right, gentlemen, so next, uh, let's talk next down the line. So assuming Cohen is approved, and I think we've all agreed that, that he most likely will be, um, we've heard that Sandy Alderson will be back. At first we heard that it would be in an advisory capacity, but now we're hearing the thing Mike has been asking for, and I've jumped on the bandwagon as well, uh, as president and CEO of baseball operations. So 
Um, so let's ha- let's talk about that with Sandy Alderson coming back in a role that will actually be, you know, people, if you think about it, a week ago it was a diminished capacity, not a GM, advisor. The word diminished was used. Well, this is an elevated capacity. This is running the baseball operation. So things have changed. Um, So I'm going to ask you for your thoughts, and and Sam, I'll start with you on this one, um, on Sandy coming back. I'll say a couple words to tee it up. On the 1 to 10 scale, with 0 being, you know, I'm very disappointed that he's coming back and 10 being, I'm, you know, elated, I'm going to go about a 7 on this one. I think everything I've heard, you know, Sandy it puts the team together methodically. That's true. With a small payroll, relatively small payroll, they did win the pennant in 2015. That's true. Um, and he does have a, a very professional way about him, which this organization is lacking at this point. All that's true. My, my only concern with Sandy coming back is, is I've never been a huge fan of his, of his vision of putting a team together in terms of he's all offense. You know, he, he has often said that he sacrifices defense for offense. And if you watch the Mets this year, you saw – how much not having defense can hurt you. This team was horrific defensively. And, and I really think he, you know, I hope he puts a little more emphasis on defense. And secondly, I'm not saying small ball and bunting in the first inning, but I am saying let's get some guys in here who aren't all or nothing players. You know, let's get some guys in here who situationally hit more Jeff McNeils, a couple more Jeff McNeils in the lineup, please. You know, let's try to balance it out. I've always said about Sandy Alderson, and please challenge me on this. What you know, he well, the book my... was baseball. No, what the, the book was baseball maverick, right? I never knew what was so maverick about him. Steve, Mike, and I are old enough to know that he put a team together in the philosophy of American League teams in the '60s and '70s, which was a couple of walks and a three-run home run, and that could work. It could work. But I also think balance is important and defense is important, and I hope his eyes will be open to that. Um, I remember I was reading up on this, and I, I saw a quote from him at the end of the 2017 season where he admitted to undervaluing defense and said he now recognizes that you have to put a little more emphasis on defense. Great. I, I hope he is willing to do that because I'm just a little bit concerned about the all-or-nothing style that he seems to favor of offense. So with all that said, that's why I'm about a seven on the continuum. So, Sam, talk to me about Sandy Alderson coming back. Well, two contradicts right away. Um, Neil Walker may have not been, like, the biggest upgrade defensively over Daniel Murphy, but he was certainly more professional, and you could point to not re-signing Daniel Murphy as – an example of him putting more value on defense because the, the primary reason Daniel Murphy was probably let go was because of defense. Um, so, you know, I did think by 2017 the game had kind of caught up to him, uh, and you did see a change in the way the Mets approached actual baseball play once Sandy Alderson was, was, uh, uh, had to, you know, deal with his, his, uh, his health. Um, but I also love the idea that, you know, first, first of all, it was this sly FU to Jeff Wilpon. Um, and I, I like what we've been talking about is like Jeff Wilpon is not a baseball guy, but he's been in an operational baseball role. 
And now you have Sandy Alderson, who has gone through many different types of, of places, of, of, of jobs within baseball, whether it's just the front office or whether it's within the, you know, with, within Park Avenue ranks. Um, it makes perfect sense that what could possibly be his last job in baseball is going to be, you know, getting a baseball head to the flagship New York National League franchise, uh, like we've been saying. So I understand your concerns, Rich, um, but to, like from an emotional perspective, I loved the symbolism of him replacing Jeff, and I'm curious to see what he does without Jeff being the operator. So that's going to be – it's going to – It's going to be a good ride. It really is. So, all right, Michael, go to you next on that one. Your thoughts and why on Alderson coming back? Uh, very quickly, you know, I'm old school, Rich. You know that about pitching, defense, and timely hitting in that order. Defense is what helped propel the Mets to a championship in 69 and the National League title in 2000. All right, Sandy Alderson coming back. Rich, you know I'm thrilled putting into place a, a proper – and, and structured chain of command. I love the idea of a president of baseball operations. Uh, I'm thrilled by that. However, and I'm okay, I'm, I'm copacetic with Sandy Alderson coming back. However, Steve Cohen immediately makes this position one of the most sought-after positions in baseball. I would have preferred he waited just a little bit before deciding on who to appoint as president. Uh, I think his entry onto the scene would have had several, several executives throughout baseball contemplating their future and what the hell they're doing in their present position and wanting to come to the Mets. I'm just having fun with that. I just prefer he wait instead of announcing you know, Sandy Alderson's return so soon. I'm not averse to Sandy Alderson coming back. Not in this capacity, not as president. Uh, very, very, very curious to see who he hires as general manager. Uh, I don't believe at 73 years old he wants to be a general manager. Uh, and I don't believe that's why he's coming back. And I don't believe that's the reason why Steve Cohen hired him. Uh, the latest rumor is, uh, you know, he might be interested in the executive out of Oakland if I'm yep. not mistaken. So, uh, you know, all things considered, I'm happy with the president. I'm okay with Sandy Alderson coming back. But because Cohen instantly makes this position a very sought-after and valued position, I preferred that he waited just a little bit. But I'm, comp I'm copacetic with the situation, Rich. Mike, that is an excellent angle on it I never thought about was – what about Theo Epstein? What about, you know, because you're not going to get Theo Epstein to take a role as a GM underneath the president of operations. What about playing the field a little bit? That, that's something I actually never thought about. I'm really glad you brought that up. It's something to think about. So, Steve, um, I think you, you talked a bit about Alderson a moment ago. I'm going to guess that you're in favor, but talk to us about Alderson coming back. I'm very much in favor of this. I was very surprised when I saw 
that Steve Cohen reached out to Sandy and Sandy said, yes, he would definitely come back and, and run this organization again. I, you know, think about what he inherited when he was brought here. He was brought here as from the commissioner's office, mostly ordered by Bud Selig to take over this organization, to, to, to write the ship. He took over an organization that was bankrupt, that was broke. The owner and the owners were clueless. All right. He takes over this team. He has some talent, some young talent. He makes a few trades. He drafts well. He signs some free agents with what little money he had and takes this team to the World Series in 2015. When you look at from the time Madoff scandal hits to where this team is in limbo to where he takes over and it's a mess and he has to clean up the mess. Not only does he clean it up, he, the team wins a pennant in 2015 and goes to the World Series. Now, when you look at the managers he's had, I mean, that, that have been here, from Terry Collins to Nicky Calloway to Louis Rojas, the common denominator with all three is they work very cheap. You don't have to pay them a lot because no veteran manager was going to come and work for the Wilpons because of Jeff Wilpon. Even general manager, Pat Gillick, Hall of Fame executive. He's in Cooperstown, Hall of Fame executive, with the, one with the Phillies, one championships with Toronto. The guy is certified as a great general manager. When Fred Wilpon called him, and told him he'd like him to come and take over the team. He laughed at Fred Wilpon. He says, are you crazy? I'm not going to work for you, and especially I'm not going to work for your son. And he hung up the phone. No one would come, no one with any kind of a credential would come here to work for the team, work the front office, because of Jeff Wilpon. Remember back when Nelson Doubleday kind of got fleeced out of his part of the team from Fred Wilpon? Hmm. They pulled a bit of the okey-doke on him to get control of this team. And when he found out that Jeff Wilpon was going to be the, the COO, he told all the reporters, run for the hills because this guy is, is incompetent. He was 100% right. You could not get anybody in baseball except for Sandy Alderson, who was doing it as a favor, being the, the good Marine that he is, to take over this organization and he had a, the things that he had to put up with with Jeff Wilpon he'll never talk about it but you've heard I've heard all kinds of things where he had a you know when he wanted to make a trade to bring in a player he had to go to Jeff 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 has to look everything over like he knows what he's looking at he knew nothing of what he was looking at and all they wanted to know is how much will this cost us how much will it cost us and he would go to him and say, listen, we're in contention. We could get into the playoffs. We got a good chance. I need a relief pitcher. How much is it going to cost us? Well, can we, get, can we add another million dollars? No, no, no. Everything was no. He had, it, was like he, it was like if you saw, if you read Moneyball or saw the movie Moneyball where, where uh, Billy Bean, uh, he's on the phone trying to, get players and sell this guy to that guy. That's exactly what he had to do to get players to the Mets. And 
you know, to the point that he got them, they won the pennant in 2015 and got to the World Series. To me, that's remarkable how he did it. Now, I personally like the guy. Every time I had met him, he would sit with me, talk to me. I could ask him questions. Like I said, if I if I wanted to know something, I could email him. He emailed me back, and he gave me some very good information. So on a personal level, I'm ecstatic that, number one, that he's healthy, and he's healthy enough to come back and run an organization, and that he's running the mess. Very good. Um, all right, gentlemen, you know where we're going next. We have to go to Brody. Um, so I think this might be a quick one. Um, it, 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 it seems pretty, uh, pretty clear that Brody will probably be dismissed as GM. And when you think about it, Mike, I'm going to start with you here. Um, as I reflect on Brody, I admit, you know, before the 2019 season when we were do- doing our podcast, I thought it was kind of a unique idea. Bring an agent in. Bring a guy in who has seen it from the other side, who may be able to sell the Will Ponds a bit like he would sell his players to other teams, sell the Will Ponds on the need to bring in talent, the need to loosen the purse strings and all of that. Well, you know, Brody's tenure, um, disaster might be the right word. Maybe there's a word slightly milder than that, slightly that we could use, but not good. You know, the farm system has been basically raided. You know, we know about the Cano trade and others. And, and it just seemed to me like Brody was like a fan being a GM. He seemed very reactive and very emotional. Think about Darno. You know, Darno had come back in, in early uh, 2019. They had signed him in the offseason, comes back. He had a horrible game. I was at the game. I was Noah Syndergaard, bobblehead night. Darno, you know, didn't hit well that game. He had a couple of pass balls, maybe a throwing error. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he had an absolutely horrible game. And Brody DFA's him right after the game. Think about this. You know, a, a pitching prospect like Jordan Humphreys, all of a sudden this guy is designated for assignment. They get Billy Hamilton. Okay, Billy Hamilton, as far as I'm concerned, I think I'm on an island here with this one, could be a valuable piece. I do believe in speed and defense. Billy Hamilton is gone two weeks, uh, what, three weeks after they got him. It's like, so now Jordan Humphreys is gone, and the guy you brought in as maybe a piece is gone, and it just seemed like there was no plan. It seemed like a fan being emotional and react like we do with our fantasy football teams. I'm dumping that guy. That guy had a bad game. You know, it just seemed like Brody acted that way as as opposed to having sort of the anti-Alderson, having a, you know, a cogent plan and going after the plan. So I think he's out. I think it's unquestionable, I, I, 100% in my opinion. So, Mike, what are your thoughts on, on Brody, and, and will we see him anymore? Oh, boy. Uh, like father, like son. For all the reasons that Stephen touched upon, Jeff Wilpon turned around and hired his buddy. Just like Fred Wilpon always, up until Sandy Alderson, hired from within because their lack of baseball acumen, you know, it, it prevented them from conducting a prop or a proper vetting for uh, an executive. Frank Cashin put Al Harrison, Joe McLevain, and Jerry Hunsicker into the front office, and he later brought in Phil, Steve Phillips into the front office. Steve Phillips was the one who brought in Jim Duquette and Omar Minaya. And Fred Wilpon exhausted them all. Never once did they go off campus. 
Alderson was a hockey stick, as I say, in the spokes, in the bicycle spokes of Jeff Wilpon. But when Sandy, you know, stepped down slash mutually parted ways with the team and Jeff conducted, put this in quotes, a vetting process for a new executive, he hired his friend, somebody who he trusted on a, on a personal level, executive qualifications be damned, and somebody who would give him carte blanche to meddle, meddle, and meddle more. Because, as, again, Stephen would say, a, a qualified executive would not allow such a thing. Frank Cashin never allowed such a thing. But once he retired, Al Harrison, Joe McLevain, Steve Phillips, Omar Minaya, Jim Duquette, all they did was medal, 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 and medal more. You know, Sandy Alderson has a backbone, and he had a lot to put up with between Jeff and Fred. But at the end of the day, the owners get their way. So to me, Brody was always a a cushy, safe hire on Jeff's part. And again, someone who would give him carte blanche to meddle. Then that's something I refuse to to you know to ease up on. Like father, like son. Never did they willingly go off campus. Never did they have an an effective vetting process to find a new executive. They always relied on the people they were most comfortable with and friendly with. You know, uh, putting their trust into somebody whom they weren't familiar with just wasn't going to happen. And it's uh, as been it's been pointed out that Sandy Alderson was imposed upon them to keep baseball's New York franchise afloat. Let's not forget who was on the roster when Sandy Olson came on. He had to tear that team apart and reduce payroll by upwards of $50 million off the bat. So, you know, Brody came in and effectively undid everything that Sandy had worked to that point to achieve. And I do mean through drafting and, and, and development. Uh, the the prospects that have been traded away in an effort to win now, and Brody's over reliance on his clients. It's not so much the you know negotiations and transactions, but the over reliance on his clients to me doesn't sit well. That means he has a limited toolbox to work with, and he ran just like Jeff did to what he knows best. So I I am not at all pleased with his record, uh, and I can't wait for him to be gone from the office, to be quite honest. Again, I'll circle back. This is a unique opportunity to rebuild the front office from scratch and reset the direction of this organization here on out. Forty years the Wilpons have impacted my life, so I want any and all remnants gone. How's that? I think that's very clear. Um, Sam, I'll go to you next on this one. Brody. So, Mike, so Mike, I guess you don't want John Rico in as GM? Is that, is 
You know how I feel about John Rico. John, he makes me break out in a rash. I can't believe he's still around. And, and that he garners the respect that he does. I don't see it. I'm blind, perhaps. Oh, triggered. Um, <laughs> well, I, I will point out uh, the reason why it seems people, you know, seem to think he falls somewhere in the sea rating for the job he did. Well, you know, he did sign Jacob deGrom. Uh, he called up Pete Alonso before the Super 2 status. So we should point out little things. And, of course, everybody talks about the J.D. Davis one. But, I mean, I can't add more to the rant than, than what just was, you know. Um, it, it's basically like, like, his, like Mike just said, over-reliance on the familiarity. Um, as well as tearing apart the farm system. Uh, and the la- last but not least, I will say that he has done a good job implementing an analytics and scouting department that just was not properly there under Jeff Wilpon's auspices. Um, however, the overall job he's done uh, with, you know, just focusing on winning now, just like Jeff has always done, which has just, it's reactive, 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 reactive. Uh, I don't see him getting a chance, no matter the lawyer talk he, he speaks when people ask whether he's talked to, to Steve Cohen anytime soon. I think that might be accurate, Sam. And Steve, um, I think I know where you might go with this one, but please talk to us about Brody and, and what his future may or may not be with the Mets. Yeah, I uh... I'm definitely no fan of, of Brody Van Wagen. And, you know, when you guys were, to- were, were talking, I'm like, I'm remembering, you brought up Jim Duquette. And the one thing I remember with Jim Duquette, remember when Vladimir Guerrero was a free agent and the Mets were looking to sign him? And and Duquette was, like, trying to do everything in his power to get the Wilpons to give him the money to sign him. And Fred wouldn't yeah. do it because he said he he was afraid of his back that the guy had back problems. Now, I mean, he, the guy ends, you know, ends up going to, to the angels, has a great career in Los Angeles, goes to the hall of fame, could have been a Met, but with Brody, I mean, look at a couple of the moves. Remember Walter Lockett, the, the great Walter Lockett. Now Walter Lockett's a journeyman, right? But Walter Lockett stepped up in a spot start and pitched very well. What was his reward? He was designated for assignment after the game. A team that was desperate for starting pitching or any kind of pitching that would give length, the guy came, stepped up, and pitched well. His reward, designated for assignment, picked up by the Seattle Mariners. Luis Iorme finally gets a chance to play. Shows what a lot of people said he could do. He can hit. He can definitely field, played second base. Andres Jimenez played shortstop, J.D. Davis at third, and Dom Smith at first. They had one of the best in defensive infields in the game and probably the best defensive infield we've seen since the days in the 90s when Ventura and, and uh, Ordonez and Fons and Olerud. Not that caliber, but... Best sense we've seen that, and that was all time. They were all time defensive. 
So what's his what's his reward for for playing so well? He gets sent back to Brooklyn to play catch, and who gets who do we get? Todd Frazier. Why? What, what what in the world would would anybody want? Todd Frazier wasn't even playing for the Texas Rangers, and they sucked, and they wouldn't even play this guy. But he was coming to the Mets because he was a spark plug. Spark plug or what? Wasn't needed. You had J.D. Davis, and you had Jeff McNeil taking care of third base, and you had Luis Guillermo, who could play any of those positions and was hitting. Todd Frazier can't hit. He's done. He's through. But they brought him in. It didn't help. I mean, it, the moves that, that were made, we couldn't, they couldn't find pitching. Meanwhile, the Marlins, with, like, no money, were finding pitching everywhere. They, they must have signed 50 pitches, pitches when, after they were hit with, with, the, with the outbreak of coronavirus. They found guys off the street and brought them in and were able to, these guys all contributed. Brody Van Wagner couldn't find anybody. I mean, you're going to tell me that you couldn't go through a roster of teams in the Atlantic League, like the Ducks or, 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 or the, uh, the Patriots, the Somerset Patriots, or, or Lancaster, the Boston, any of those teams. You couldn't find a pitcher off of the, one of, a couple of those teams that would sign with the Mets and contribute in a bullpen. The guy had no clue, no clue what to do. And the only thing I would think that would keep him around is he's got two years left on a contract. You know, he could be put like, you know, what they do to the teachers in the public schools, put him in the rubber room for two years or something. <laughs> him, you know, give him something to do, like, you know, maybe uh, stock, stock Shake Shack, you know, work, you know, work the counter at the Pat LaFrieda's steak, uh, steak stand, something for two years to get his salary. I mean, Unless Cohen just, you know, I mean, look, Steve Cohen paid like, what, $140 million for a dopey sculpture? Yeah, he could pay off Brody Van Wagner. He could just say, yeah, come here. Here's, here you go. Get out of here. Take a walk. Yeah, here's money for an Uber. Go ahead. Get out of here. Go, go. Come back. See you later. For an Uber. <laughs> um, no, I think we, we're all kind of aligned on that. I mean, Brody's impact over two years. You know, he set the franchise back. Let's be honest, guys. You know, he set this franchise back. I don't know how many steps. That'll be determined as time goes on. And whoever comes in as GM under Sandy's guidance is going to have to get, as Mike said earlier, get the ship pointed in the right direction because it's pointed in the wrong direction right now. It's clear. All right, so, so we've talked about, um, about a lot of the potential changes, um, and you are listening to the Metzian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike, and we are beyond thrilled to have Steve Keen with us from the Crane Pool Society. Um, and so we're going to move, gentlemen, into, you know, we have a, a little more time left. We'll get into the last roughly third of our show here, and, and let's go to the manager. Um, so Louis Rojas, we have to talk about him a little bit. And I'm going to ask you two questions. How do you think he did this year, and do you think he should be back? Um, and let's see. We will start this one with Sam, then we'll go to Steve, and we'll wrap it up with Mike. So all right, let me set this one up a little bit. So Louis Rojas, I heard, I think, some, I think it was Steve, said earlier that, you know, organizational guy, yes, he is, uh, been in the organization for a while and, and earned the opportunity to manage or, you know, has done the time necessary, agreed. Um, so here's how I look at Louis Rojas, and I'd be in, very interested if you guys would comment on this. 
other than the results of the fact the team didn't make the playoffs, which I'm willing to say was because of factors beyond his control. Stroman opted out, Cindergaard, Tommy John, that's certainly not Luis Rojas' fault, and you lost 40% of your rotation right there, and you had to rely on the likes of Rick Porcello, who definitely should not be back. Michael Waka definitely should not be back. And you had to rely on these guys, Walter Lockett, things like that. So I'm going to put that, take that off the table. That's not on Louis. But what Louis, Louis Rojas can control is what happens on the field with the team he has. A couple of observations from me. This team looked flat and uninspired most of the season. This is the same bunch of guys who last year with the cookie club and all this kind of stuff were bouncing all over the place. They were happy. They were all these things. This team, tell me if I'm wrong, looked deader than a doornail for most of the season. This team was fundamentally atrocious. They weren't bad. They were atrocious. They could not play defense. They could not run the bases. They couldn't execute plays like rundowns and things like that. Okay. The, some of the things he did on the field, bullpens, I know every manager will be, will be toasted for use of the bullpen. The way Louie did it, I don't think he distinguished himself in any way, shape, or form. Certain other things, you know, like playing Wilson Ramos, and, and there were situations, you, you'll might, you might remember them, where the Mets would have three catchers on the roster at various times, and Ramos would come up in a key spot against a right-hander, and he'd have Guillorme on the bench, and he'd let Ramos bat. And what would Ramos do? On script, he would hit into the double play. So things like that, the in-game moves certainly were suspect. Me, I see no reason this guy has earned the opportunity to come back. I don't see one reason, and I want you to challenge me on that. Other than the 60-game season, you know, give him a fair shot, 162. Let's take that off the table. Let's talk about what you observed this year and whether or not on merit you think this guy should come back. I don't. That's my opinion. So, Sam, let's start with you. I think he gets another chance, especially because of the, uh, you know, what we're talking about with the 60-game season. Um, and the question is how much does some of the non-bouncing around, uh, how much can that just be attributed to, the lack of fans there and, and the subdued nature of the COVID era. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I still blame more the atrocities of the defense as well as the lack of fundamentals that you sometimes saw overall, whether it's uh, offensively or defensively, um, which of course probably attributes to the terrible runners in scoring position with, you know, a top five offense. Um, I, I think that, I, I think that it's still an, more of an indictment to how poorly fundamental the operations of Jeff Wilfon have been. And that's why I think that coming off of COVID, he does get more of a benefit of the doubt than Brody's going to get. Uh, and what was discussed today is the fact that Louis came up in this organization. Uh, he was there in 2008, but uh, he kept getting promoted when Sandy Alderson was was running the team. So I, I'm, you know, I I know that they have a relationship, um, and even though he, you know he didn't pick him back when he picked Mickey Calloway, I still think that he'll give him the benefit of the doubt 
to get it done in a, a you know when there's a better roster in front of him. Do you think a new GM will say this is for Sam? Then you guys, of course, answer it as well. Do you think a new GM is going to say no, no, no? I'm bringing in my guy, or do you think the new GM is going to be cool with it, like you just said? Good question. Um, I I think historically speaking, they usually a lot of times they do like to observe. I mean, Brody did uh, with Mickey. Um, I always bring up Burley Grimes with Larry McPhail and the Dodgers. Uh, so I I don't know what my confidence is that that will be exactly what the GM says. Uh, and especially going to back to what I, I mentioned about Rojas getting promoted within the organization. I mean, if Sa- if it were up to Sandy, he may have hired Rojas before hiring Beltran uh, in the first place. So, you know, we don't, we don't know. It's going to be interesting to hear from Sandy when it's all said and done. Uh, and I, I, I don't know exactly how to answer that. Okay. Um, Steve, you're up next. Louis Rojas, what did you see? Would you give him another shot? And do you think a new GM, what do you think a new GM might do? This is a very, very tough question because I respect the fact that Rojas has paid his dues, being that he's been in the organization for a long time. He started, you know, in instructional league, worked his way up as a coach, was in the minor leagues. Most of these guys that are on the team, the young guys, they all know him. They all, most of them played under him in minor leagues, and, and they all like and respect him. I think that he was in a really, really bad spot, being that Beltran was the manager and then gets fired, and then he takes over, and then he's hit with this with the pandemic, and we're hit with, we don't know if there's going to be a season how long is the season going to be? And it's a 60-game season. I think if he was a more of a veteran or a seasoned manager, he would have handled things a lot better because you needed a guy who's been around to handle a situation like he was thrown into. There were times when I, I think that, you know, I looked, I said some of the bullpen moves that he made, I shook my head. Uh, Rich, you, you, the one thing you talked about, which I couldn't understand, was how much he played Wilson Ramos. Wilson Ramos is, is if he can't, if he can't hit, he's of no use to you because he's awful as a catcher. I mean, how many guys scored at home because this guy just couldn't move? They don't call him the Buffalo for nothing. I mean, he moves like a Buffalo. He couldn't move for anything. And when they got Chirinos, he was much better. And I said, well, just play this guy every day fine he doesn't hit but we got enough guys that can hit this guy's better defensive they still kept playing Wilson Ramos I I didn't understand why and that was like some of the things like moves that he would make and you shake your head and you're like why are you making these type of moves you know it's like you know why are you you know why aren't you fighting to keep a Luis Guillaume on this team instead of Todd Frazier well you know I know you're a first year guy you maybe you're afraid to rock the boat but I mean Especially if you if you see the the, the writing on the wall that uh, you know there's new ownership coming in, I th- I think you might have deserted yourself a little more. Same thing with with the these umpires. The umpiring in this 60 game season was atrocious, especially at home plate. Yep. It, it was, you know, I watch a lot of the the, the the Korean games in the morning, and their umpiring is terrible. It's the same type of umpiring you see in Korea. Guys don't know a ball and a strike 
the umpire behind the plate. It was horrible. Not one time. What one time did Rojas come out and argue a strike a, a ball or a strike for either his hitters or his pitchers? So, I mean, he's got to be a little more assertive. Uh, I mean, I don't know what they do. I mean, to me, if you, I, I, I would really like to get a veteran manager if there was a way of getting Terry Francona from the Indians to come manage the Mets, being that whether his contract and his health would allow it, then I would do that in a heartbeat. But if you can't get the veteran manager, I guess you try you give give Rojas another year. Hopefully, it's a full 162. It's a full spring training. You know, I, I'm I, I know I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he's brought back, because I don't know who else is out there that you can bring in. I, I I'm pretty sure whoever they bring in is going to be is going to lean towards the analytical side because this. You're going to see now this organization under Steve Cohen is going to be very. It's going to be heavily into analytics. His business, his his whole uh, his whole uh, venture capitalist business is based all on analytics. He's a very analytical guy, and you're going to see the expansion of the analytics program uh, department with the Mets. And and I guess you you know, I mean, do you do you try to bring back bring back an AJ Hinch? Was going to be off suspension. I mean, I, I don't know which way they would go. I mean, unless you bring in a veteran guy, maybe you give Louis one more. You know, let him get a full season to show what he can do. Interesting. Uh, it will be very interesting, Call. You have a lot of factors there. You have the underperformance of the team, which typically reflects on the manager. Yes, I understand roster construction, but the roster was expected to be one of the eight teams in the postseason, and the team did underperform. You have the fact that, you know, the 60-game season, do you give them a, a fair shot at 162, which is reasonable? And then you have the new GM and how people typically like to populate with their own people. So, Mike, which way? Which, how do you see this thing going? It's tough. It's tough. You know, you brought up a lot of, uh, of bullet points. Think about what the Mets could have accomplished uh, had Noah Syndergaard not gotten hurt, had Marcus Stroman not opted out had they signed Zach Wheeler. We're having a different conversation today. Uh, But still, it's been a a very unusual season. Uh, We've talked about the bullpen and his bullpen moves. Well, I would say the bullpen has been unreliable. So I guess that offsets his moves. Unreliable, bad moves, you tell me. But before I look to blame managers for anything, Rich, you know, I look at players first. Players make managers look good and look bad. They're the ones who render managers inconsequential. Look at the Yankees. They led the American League in errors and are stumbling into the playoffs. You know, and Aaron Boone, second year, you know, he, he's still learning on the job, never had experience before. So, nevertheless, his team led the league in errors. Is that on Aaron Boone? I don't know. I, I'd say not. It's up to the performance on the field. You know, it's not a manager's fault when some blockhead gets caught in a rundown in between bases because he doesn't know what he's doing or because he's not observant of where the ball is and who has it and where it's going. 
And that speaks to Sam's point, where I demand better development and education from these players at lower levels. By the time they hit the major leagues, I want them polished. I don't want them being taken to the side and, give her, and, and given, you know, extracurricular activities to improve, like Callaway did with Ahmed Rosario. That should be taken care of at the minor league level. So at the end of the day, yeah, I would give Luis Rojas another chance. However, I'm perfectly willing to let the next general manager make that decision, whatever he or she decides to do, retain him, look elsewhere. I'm always willing to improve. So if something becomes available, somebody comes, becomes available, yeah, I'm, you know, pulling that trigger in a heartbeat. I don't have any compunctions doing that. But you got to wait until the next person becomes available. But I will leave that up to the general manager. The general manager decides I'll give him another shot, I'm cool. The general manager decides you're out, I'm bringing in my own guy, I'm cool. Fair enough. Very, very well-reasoned approach. All right, gentlemen, we are down to our last question of the night. And uh, this kind of ties everything together between the um, underperformance, roster construction, and also the changes that are coming. I think this is a way to sort of put a bow on, on the discussion. I'm going to ask you to give me three on-field priorities for the Mets this coming offseason. Um and I'll start with this, and what we'll do is we'll start with uh, we'll start with Sam first. We'll go to Mike, and then then we'll finish it up with Steve. Um, so, as I see it, guys, they have to get major league starting pitching depth. You, you know, Rick Porcello, no, it wasn't a good idea when it happened before this season, and it's not a good idea now to bring him back. You don't need Rick Porcello, Michael Walker. You don't. We talked about this earlier. You don't need to shop in the bargain basement anymore, I hope. You, know, you don't need to get these guys who had bad seasons and will work cheap. You need to go out and get yourself at least two major league starting pitchers. I'm not talking about top-of-the-rotation guys. who you, Those guys don't grow on trees. But I, you need at least somebody who could profile as a three or four, and you need two of them. Okay, um, So that's me as number one. Number two. You need a catcher on this team. You need a good defensive catcher, and if you have one who can hit, that's even better. You, my opinion, you prioritize defense and catcher because you have a good offensive team. You don't necessarily need your catcher to be a top offensive player. It's a nice bonus if you can get it. But we saw Ramos with the tags, the inability to block balls in the dirt, the seemingly laziness behind the plate. How many times did you hear Ron Darling say that ball has to be caught? We saw all of that. You know, we saw the inability to throw runners out. It was glaring. We need a solid defensive catcher on this team. So that's number two. And number three, to me, you need a center fielder. You need a genuine center fielder. Nimmo, you know, I like him as a corner outfielder. I don't have his DRS in front of me. I'm sure it's negative. When I looked a couple about a week or two ago, about 10 days ago, it was like a minus four in center field. So he's a negative, you know, he's a net negative in center field. And you saw it. You know, there were games where balls were dropping all over the place. And you need a guy who, who's a natural center fielder. And I'll leave it at this. My opinion, for the love of God, do not try to make Ahmed Rosario a center fielder. The time to start to, you know, to do these experiments, 
no. If you want to contend, you don't take the most important position of the eight defensive positions and take a guy as an experiment out there. If you heard what Keith said, it was either yesterday or today, he said, sure, you want a med to be a center fielder? Let him play a full season in the minor leagues that position. Yes, that I can sign on to. You don't do this on the major league level. Take a guy who's never played the outfield, make him a center fielder after, you know, shagging some flies in spring training. Don't do that. Go, don't go on the cheap here. Get me a real center fielder. Those are my three priorities. I think I said we'll go to Sam first, so we'll go to Sam first on this one. He took the words right out of my mouth. Pitching, pitching, pitching. I mean, we've talked about Zach Wheeler. We've talked about Jordan Humphreys. What about the wasted trades that, you know, you gave up Anthony Kay, uh, who had a pretty solid season for the Blue Jays. And you had, you know, you didn't have anything to show for it with Marcus Stroman, uh, who was supposed to be replacing Zach Wheeler. Um, center fielder, like you said, we need a, a – we've, we've been talking about this basically since we were talking about Michael Bourne, which obviously may have not been the right choice anyway, but – They've needed a center fielder for a long time, and they haven't had a center fielder. Um, keep Dominic Smith in left field, maybe interchanging with McNeil occasionally. Keep uh, Mike Conforto out in the corner. Uh, sometimes, again, McNeil occasionally, who also plays, like like Steven said earlier, plus defense at most positions. Um, and you have to get a catcher, like you said, and I am all about Real Muto. Uh, yes, it would be, you know, like you need to defense first, and it's gravy if you can get an offensive catcher. But what if you can get both? I think it's top priority for them to get a player like JT Realmuto, especially if they can basically do what all the other teams tend to do, which is stick it to them with their ex-players. Do that. Do like reciprocate. Reciprocate. Ah, let's do this. Love it. No, I like that. Uh, it's about time the Mets have a guy who haunts his ex-team because it always happens to the Mets. I'll give you two names, Darno and Wheeler. So thank you, Sam. Very good. Uh, Mike, you're up next on this one. Give me three priorities. I'm in lockstep with you, Rich. We need a catcher. That's my priority. Uh, the stars are aligned. The planets are aligned for JT to be a Met. Uh, all it's going to take is money. We don't have to give up bodies. You add. You're adding. Think about it that way. You're adding. You're adding to a, a good core, and, and, and you're solidifying yourself up the middle. I would put – well, I'm with you. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, unlocked, I'm in lockstep with you on all three points. Uh, they have to revamp pitching, and then I guess center field is third. I have no real other priorities, but catcher first and foremost. The, 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 the situation is right. Money-wise, he's going to be available – Again, no bodies involved. It's an upgrade. So every reason imaginable exists for them to sign Real Muto. Get it done. Get it done. Just like you made some impact, you know, in previous years in free agency with the signing of Beltran and this one, that one, or the other. Do it. Do it, do it, do it, because it will only help. It's not a question mark. Barring injury, we, I, I think we're all in agreement. It will only help. You're adding to the team. You're not trading. You're not swapping. So you want improvement? Start there and then, you know, get busy on that starting pitcher. And if you can facilitate a better center fielder, you do that. Steve, a very wise man once said, if you don't have a catcher, you have a lot of pass balls. Well, the Mets did have a catcher, <laughs> but they still had a lot of pass balls. 
So I'm yes, going to ask please. you to take, to give me the uh, to give me the, your three priorities. Yes, the the old professor came up with that one, Casey Stein. Yep. Uh, I, I think I, I think we're all in agreement. We definitely need a catcher, and I, I don't think if the, if Real Muto is the guy they want, I think we could say for the first time they won't be outbid. I mean, they'll be able to pay the price to get this guy. I I don't I, I hope it's him, and but you, you we do need a catcher. We've desperately needed a catcher, and I'll say that I'll say one thing that. Think back to um, when Alderson was running the Mets. It was a priority to him to get a catcher. He yeah. said because he, he he was so upset with with guys like you know he drafted Palicki. Darno just couldn't stay on the field. They had Josh Toley, who he traded got in the trade with Toronto, and I had spoken to him one time and I said you know he goes we desperately he goes I desperately need to get a catcher. I have to find a catcher problem is the finance to get a quality catcher you got to pay a quality catcher and the Mets weren't going to pay it but I mean catcher is number one number two I to me we need a third baseman a solid everyday third baseman and the guy I'm looking at is Nolan Arenado in Colorado he's unhappy in Colorado he doesn't want to be there anymore they're terrible they're not going anywhere he wants out of Colorado. So I I would think that he would be a player over the winter, especially at winter meetings and stuff like that when trade talk is, that I would I would try to see if there's a deal to bring Nolan Arenado to the Mets to play third base. The other position you need, you got to get a center fielder. I know Nimmo had a nine-something OPS. He's, he's very good, gets on base. We all love him, but he's not an everyday center fielder. We need to solidify center field. This way we solidify catcher defensively. We set, we solidify center field. Jimenez is the shortstop. I don't care what – Rosario is going to be utility guy or he's going to be traded. Andres Jimenez is the, is, is the shortstop. And then either Cano, McNeil – Guillermo, whichever guy we put at second base is a plus defender. So now we are very much set on defense. Add some decent pitching. We don't need to get a fireballer. We need to find a guy that induces ground balls. When you have an infield like that with that kind of defense, you need to find a guy who can induce ground balls. That's how you'll win. So, I mean, we definitely need starting pitching. I would I would really look at third base and center field as my top three I, people uh, positions that I need to fill with a plus player. Excellent add on third base. You know we hadn't talked about that. The three of us didn't even mention that. Um, but excellent add on that because JD Davis um, he's got a hit to justify his spot on the team. He's not a good defender. We know that he's better at third base than he is in the outfield for sure. But he's still not a good third baseman. And that is a bit of an issue. You're right. It is because JD didn't hit enough this year to justify the bad defense. And that's one of the reasons they brought Frazier over that. And the fact that he's a great cheerleader, which I never understood. Um, but yeah, you know, I would make that in fairness, probably my fourth priority, but definitely on the list of upgrades. Third base is, is an excellent ad, Steve. 
So, um, okay. So, gentlemen, the problem, the problem here is that this team is has it's a bad roster construction. There's guys right. that just don't fit in places. So, I mean, JD, a guy like JD Davis, a guy like Nimmo, a guy like Rosario, those three guys, that's trade bait to get Arenado from Colorado. Yeah, and Arenado, I've heard as well might be available. They might rebuild out there. And if you're going to rebuild, sure. that's the guy you're going to move because that's the guy making all the money. And that's the guy who is symbolic of the current era. So, um, wow, what a nice splash, huh? Um, imagine <laughs> having him after, after having, you know, bad defense at third base. Can you imagine that guy? With the, the guy, the oh. guy make, throws people out from the stands, for God's sakes. I yeah. mean, the guy is a, a human highlight reel. Um, Arenado and Ibanez on the left side of your infield. Oh, Who's better? Nobody. <laughs> I, I just had a butterfly in my stomach when you said that. I mean, can you think? Can you imagine watching? I love defense. Yeah. I think we all do. Could you oh, imagine yeah. watching that? Oh. Um. So, gentlemen, we've covered everything that we were supposed to cover, and I've had an absolute blast doing it. Um. So now it's time for our last word. And, Steve, I'm going to go to you first. And before giving us your last word for the night, if you could just remind people where they could find you on Twitter. You're an ob- obviously a very enlightened Mets fan. You're a very entertaining kind of a guy. Your perspectives are always good, and there's always, like, a, a good sense of humor attached to it. So where can people enjoy your, your tweets, and, and where can we find you? And, and what is your last word for tonight? Okay, you, um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Cranepool for Ed Cranepool and for the Ed Cranepool Society. You can find me right there. Um, I'm always on there. So and if you follow me, I follow back. So that's, you know, we can do that. Last word for the night is um, the, the sun will rise again. It'll rise once Steve Cohen is uh, confirmed as the owner and the organization goes back and it goes into the hands of a competent owner, competent baseball people hopefully that we get through this awful pandemic and just kind of awful times in this country right now and get back to going to the ballpark uh this is the first time in my life since i'm six years old 1964 that i did not attend a mets game that saddens me okay i've been going to mets games since I'm six years old. I'm 62 now. I've gone every year except for this year. And that saddens me. I don't want to make it, I don't want to be 63 and not go to a Mets game. (laughs) So let's let's hope that the country, that we get a vaccine for this awful virus. And maybe the fact that we do get one and life goes back to how we knew it People will respect each other again. People won't look at each other for what color their skin is, what religion, where they, you know, where they go to church. Where we're all, we're all people. We're all humans. We're all Americans. We just have to just, we, you know, we're all. For the majority of us, we're good people, and we have to stay good people. We can't let people who try to change, trying to change our, our thinkings and try to change the way we live, we can't let them interfere. I mean, I don't want to get too philosophical or crazy. I just want to be able in end of March, early April, 
go through that turnstile at City Field, sit in the seat with my kids, and just watch them that game. That's all I want. Amen, brother. I can't add to that. Um, all right, so, Mike, what's your last word for tonight? Very quickly, uh, relief. Again, Sonership has impacted my life for 40 years, since 1980. There was, there's been some good times along the way, but a lot of bad times. And uh, especially over the last 18 years, full ownership of the Mets. So, relief. Uh, I'm glad that this episode ends and the next one finally begins. Uh, that's it, man. Uh, I, I, I don't wish them ill will, but uh, I'll be happy when this process is officially made, you know, uh, official to be redundant and, and we can move on. Very good. You know, Sam, before I go to you for the last word, Steve had me thinking. I attended my first ever Mets game in 1972 and as a little tot. And, um, and so what, what happened was we would go to one game a year for like the 70s. And, um, and in 73, for some reason, between my uncles and my father, everybody decided we had to go to a Yankee game that year. And it was like, ugh. And then, so 1973, I can honestly say, was the last year I didn't go to a Met game in my life. And um, I never thought about it until Steve said that. But, yeah, it's, this is the first season since 1973 I did not go to at least one Met game. So, Sam, what is your last word for tonight? Well, uh, I, my last word is going to be anticipation. Uh, but just to throw it out there, my first Met game was 1996. Uh, field level behind first base Shea Stadium, and uh, the Mets won. I don't remember enough details about it as to who they beat or what the score was or what even day it was, but that was the first time that I was uh, at a Mets ball game, and uh, you could tell then just how rabid the fan base was, uh, and especially you know for me, still kind of finding my, my New York baseball legs uh, under me. Uh, and it's been a crazy journey, and I can't. I I I was even able to make a game in 2018 when I was out in Colorado for the majority of the time. Uh, so I am looking forward to heading back there and saying, "Let's go Mets towards the field." So it's not just anticipation in the uh, you know in terms of this pandemic being over. It's anticipation in, as to who the Mets are going to be on the other side of this off season. Uh, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that and shout out to the playoffs, which are going to be a very unique situation for the baseball fan. I, you know, I'm, it's bittersweet that the Mets are not in it, but I, uh, I'm, I'm still going to enjoy taking in some baseball this October. And I'm so happy that we get to say it, we made it all the way to the playoffs. And there was a lot of doubt about that at many points throughout this, uh, crazy season that we just had, this crazy pandemic of a season. So anticipation is my final word. Well said. You know, Keith talked about that. Um, and, he's, you know, he, Keith and Gary at the very end of the game today both talked about that. Gary said he didn't think they were going to make it through the season. They did. I agree with everything you said, Sam. I think um, there's a boatload of games on Tuesday and Wednesday. The playoffs are going to be very exciting. It's, it's unfortunate the Mets aren't involved. But, you know, we have a month of baseball ahead of us, and I think – 
the odds of them getting through the World Series are very high with the bubble concept. So there's a lot to look forward to. And then once that's over, the Mets start their, their next era, and that's something very, very exciting. And then further, like all you guys said, let's hope that with all that good comes another enormous piece of good that trumps everything else, and that is an end of the pandemic, and we can you know go about our lives the way we have. And for us doing a sports show, we can go to ball games again because Gary said it at the end today. He said the one thing we miss the most is you guys. He goes, we never realized how much we would miss the fans and the energy. And, and let's hope we're all back to that for the game's sake, for our sake, and for everybody's health's sake. So with that said, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've done an hour and 45 minutes almost on the button. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking baseball to you guys tonight, and I truly mean that. Um, Sam, thank you. Uh, Mike, thank you. And most importantly, to our guest, Steve, thank you for joining us tonight. You're always welcome on the Messian podcast. It's always great talking baseball with you. And to wrap this puppy up, I'm going to turn it over to the man who invented it, who knows how to take us out. So, Sam, take us out. Well, I'm looking forward to becoming president of this podcast operation as opposed to the COO. And I can't wait to say these words towards the field Come April 2021, let's go Mets. 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 Let's go Mets is right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Rich. Have a good one. Thank you all for listening tonight. Take care. Great episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Steve. Have a good night. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you, guys. Good night. Thank you, Steven.